0: So today, we are going to talk about something that's important to all of us. And essentially, what would your life and world look like if there was an outbreak for Jesus in every part of your life? How would your world change? What would things be like What would your kids' sports teams be like if that was the case? We have a desire, I think, that's built in all of us to talk to others about Jesus. But it's very difficult. A lot of us get very uncomfortable with that. And mainly because we feel we're not worthy to talk to others about God because of the things that are going on in our lives. And also because we don't think we know how to. We don't think we have the tools or the ability to. But the Bible tells us something very different. Jesus tells us something extremely different. See, the story we're going to read today is about when Jesus sent 72 individuals, basically ahead of him, to prepare his route through his ministry. And we think about the people that Jesus would pan pick, we're a little intimidated. Because let's be real, if Jesus picked them, then obviously they're like super spiritual people, like they should be the top-notch God people. And we just guess that that's who they are. In fact, throughout the Bible, we worry about that because we, can't, we try to compare ourselves to the big hitters, and we think, thinking, well, we can't be Elijah, we can't be David. But here's the truth. There's nothing special about Elijah. There's nothing special about David. There's nothing special about the 72 people he sent out. They're just humans. Humans and people that God used. And we're the same way. We're just humans. And God wants to use us to reach others. And he can and he will. See, did you know that the the early Christian church started as a small group of people? Just a handful of people. And history tells us that in 200 years or so, after Christianity began, that small group spread to be half the Roman Empire. That's impressive. The biggest empire of the time, a small group became half of that empire. So how did they do it? How did a small group of individuals reach that kind of number? See, they didn't have the things that we had today. They didn't have a building. They didn't have technology and great instruments and great musicians. They didn't have paid pastors. They had Jesus. And when Jesus is involved with your life, he does some good things because Jesus is powerful. What if? What if we became that small group? What if we We're able to spread God's word that quickly to that many people. How would your world change if there was an outbreak for Jesus? So here's our story. This is Jesus' words. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or a sandal. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone promotes peace, there will be peace on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. Eat, drink, whatever they give you. For the workers deserve their wages. Do not move from house to house. I believe that one of the reasons, the reasons that we see Christianity spread so quickly in the early church comes from this passage. The first reason comes from verse 7. When it says that stay there, eat, drink, and do not move from house to house. Now the house or the household of Jesus' time, is the Greek word oikos. And oikos, or the household, wasn't just the immediate family. It was considered the extended family. So your oikoses, or your household of that time, were between 20 and 50 different people. And, And to me, that's really nifty, because all you need is one. One person that you can reach for Jesus, and all of a sudden, the household, it spreads through. And it happened in the Bible. Uh, The Apostle Paul met a young lady named Lydia and and Lydia was a businesswoman uh, and considered very rich in her neighborhood. And Paul just came with Jesus. And through Lydia, the Bible says that her whole household came to know Jesus. And there's Peter. Peter met a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter was a Jew. Now in that time... They did not mix. They weren't supposed to talk or hang out, but Cornelius invited Peter into the house. And the Bible says that, that Cornelius' whole family, his whole oikos, the whole household, came to know Jesus and was baptized. So the first reason why it spread was because it went from oikos to oikos, household to household. The second reason comes in verse 5 and 6, when it says, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone promotes peace, it will rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. If you are all out for Jesus, you're going to come across people that will welcome you and reject you. And the people that welcome you are known as persons of peace. They're people that are desiring to know more. You'll know them because they'll welcome you into their lives. Knowing that you know Jesus, they'll want to serve you. They'll want to hang out with you, do things for you, do things with you. And they'll act as that gatekeeper for their whole family. So you may never meet their whole extended family, but you'll meet the one person God wants you to meet. And this happens today. It doesn't just happen for the seventy-two that Jesus sent out. It happens today. The cool thing is, um, my wife and I went, had a wedding out in Indiana uh, for a friend of mine named Chuck. I played football with him, uh, good guy. We had a great time at the wedding. Um, in like weddings, when you get to perform them, you know they obviously know you're a pastor. And, and I had some small God conversations with some of Chuck's family and, and the bride's family. And nothing out of the ordinary or um, out of you know nothing crazy. So this week, I'm checking my Facebook page and I get a personal message from Chuck's cousin asking me deeper questions about God. Wanting to know more about faith. Chuck was my person of peace. Chuck allowed me to enter his household and now because of that, Jesus is spreading. So it happens today, and it can happen today. So the question you got to ask yourself, are who are the persons of peace in your life today? Who are the people that you know need to hear Jesus' word or, or, or don't have Jesus you know, in their hearts yet, or even they do, and you want to talk to them more? Because here's what kind of happens with us. We assume that talking to others about God is kind of like our mission field, and it's our responsibility, But verse 2 tells us that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask God of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his field. The truth is, we're not in charge of the harvest. And the field does not belong to us. God's in charge. And what happens is we put so much pressure... On ourselves to talk to others about God because we guess it's just our responsibility, but God's the one in charge. So instead of putting the pressure on ourselves, when we realize that God's the one kind of doing all this stuff, it makes us a little more relaxed. And the question that we gotta ask ourselves now is not what we can do for our friends, but rather, God, what are you already doing in the lives of the people I know? And how can I be a part of that? How can I join in? because when we think of it that way when we're just joining in with God there's no pressure at all because it's God he's taking care of that for us and because of this, we, we really do care for those in our life we, we care for our coworkers, we care for you know, the people in our home and our friends but God loves them more God loves your friends and your family more than you ever could and it's just truth. But the nifty thing is, he can pour his love for others into us. Has that ever happened to you before? Where you're kind of hanging out, and all of a sudden you, you know, talk to somebody, maybe you know them well, maybe you don't, but in that moment, you feel an outpouring of love for them that you can't explain. I come across it from time to time working with teenagers, Because truth be known, teenagers are balls of emotion, and that's about it, with arms and legs. And and that's not a bad thing. We all we everyone in this room who were once teenagers, and we all you know had the same issues. But I find that you know when you talk to teenagers and they really get down to who they are and what they feel, you know their emotions are so powerful. We were at church camp a couple weeks ago and i was walking from one building to the next one of the gym down to the lodge and a young man named stephen pulls me aside i don't know stephen besides maybe i met him in worship during one of the sessions and he goes to manchester and him and i were just talking he was just explaining what god is doing in his life that god is pouring all this love into him and he's excited and he wants to go home but he's so afraid because he's going home to a bad situation He's going home where there's going to be abuse. He's going home where people are going to question what he's doing. He's going to go home to where his friends are going to make fun of him because of that. And in this midst of talking to this young man and hearing him pour his heart out to me, I felt God's love pour into my heart for him. In a way that, like, I couldn't explain. I remember looking at Stephen and said, Stephen, you understand God loves you, right? That Jesus loves you, and because of that, he's going to be with you. And it's not going to be an easy road, no. But he's going to be with you through the whole thing. And I don't consider myself a crier, right? I don't, I'm not a crier, I don't, I just, it's just not in my nature, I guess. I started to, like, tear up with this kid. And that wasn't because... I've known him for such a long time and I know his situation, it's because God was pouring his love for him into me. Because God loves your friends, your family, and the people you meet every day more than you. God has an agenda. God has something he wants from you. John chapter 6 verse 40 says that the Father and His will is that we would all know the Son Jesus and that when we believe in Him we will have eternal life. What God wants more than anything else in the world is for you to know His Son and live forever with Him. And we feel when it comes to talking to others about Jesus because Jesus wants that and God wants that for them that we feel empty handed like we feel like we're not prepared like we don't have the the tools but before Jesus went to heaven he did something really cool he said hey I'm going to send you a helpmate someone to be an advocate called the Holy Spirit and the nifty thing about the Holy Spirit is, is while we are just kind of talking to people The Holy Spirit is actually actively talking to those who don't know God, convincing them that they need to know Jesus. We've been convinced that we are responsible to tell people that they're sinners. We are convinced that we need to be the ones to tell them that, but that's not our job. It never was. Our job is to be involved with what God's already doing because the Holy Spirit's already talking to those who don't know Jesus and telling them they have sin in their life. We can just get to be involved with the process. We get to be involved with God doing these things. We don't have to condemn them. That's not who we are or what we do. But if we want to reach someone for Jesus, we really want to, to, to talk to them, we just can't always just go to someone we don't know and just talk. We won't be received well. We need to build relationships. Without relationships, you really can't talk those deep talks. I can't talk to a student without really building their trust because that's impossible. But to have a relationship you must be willing to receive. I am bad at that. I am really bad at receiving things. I don't feel that I'm worthy of things sometimes. I don't feel that I deserve to be given things or be given help because that's kind of just in my thing. I get to fight that all the time. Now, my father-in-law does not. My father-in-law has a saying. It goes like this. He goes, I don't pay retail. And that is a true statement. This man, anytime there's a deal that we have, he's looking for it. His neighbor is moving to Daytona. And the house in Daytona is already furnished. So basically, the house up here in Ohio, he's giving things away for cheap. And my father-in-law was pouncing and he was ready. And he got a truck. He got all kinds of cool stuff. And, he, and every time he got something, he goes, Dave, I told you, I don't pay retail. So my father-in-law knows how to receive. <clears throat> Myself, I struggle. I have a friend of mine that is constantly picking up my check. Not all the time, but enough that I notice a lot. And he's sneaky, very, very sneaky, because he'll, he'll tell the waitress... That I'm covered, but he won't tell me. So the checks come around, and I go, "Hey, yo, where's my check?" He says your buddy's got it, and I go. The first thing I want to do, I go, How, "You don't have to, I, you know. I, I just—it's hard to receive that." And he just says, "I want to just say thank you. Just say thank you." When's the last time you willingly willingly accepted a bill? You know, someone just took it from you. You are okay, thank you. When's the last time someone asked to watch your kids and you accepted? When's the last time your neighbor saw you struggling getting a project done and came over to help you out and go, no, no, I got this? When's the last time you were stuck in your car broken down in the snow and Alex Poindexter Drove by you and said, do you need help? And I rolled my window down and go, A's coming, I'm good. <laughs> if we're going to build these friendships, we have to be willing to receive. Because if we don't receive things from others, all they are is this Christian project that we want to fix and not a relationship to foster. Because when life is tough and you are hurting, you don't go to people you don't know for help. You don't go to the stranger because you don't trust them. You go to the person that you know, that you have a friendship with, that you can rely on. And that's why it's so important. Because there's one thing that, that connects all of us, is we are all hurting in some way. We are all in need of some kind of healing in our lives. For some of us, we're going to leave here today, and all you have outside these doors is loneliness. The only time you feel like you even matter is in church or in a small group, and you dread leaving because you know you're just going to go to an empty house. There's others in here who are struggling with addictions that have been a part of their lives forever. This addiction has been crippling them. Even as they sit here today, they're they, they thinking about it, they're wrestling with it, and they're hurting. Some of us that have financial issues that we just pray there's going to have enough money to cover gas or, or pray that there's going to be enough to cover for your, your mortgage. Families who are in, in divorce, going through divorce, they're just in so much pain. Relationships with friends and family that are completely destroyed, and we're crying out for healing. We desperately that 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 connects us all because we are all that person. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I want to heal your heart, and after I'm done with you, I'm going to put people in your path that desperately need to hear this. And desperately need that same healing. Because God loves them more. Because he's got an agenda. And the agenda is that they would all see the Son and be healed and have eternal life. But one of the things that stop us in our tracks from talking to others about Jesus is that we are so afraid to be rejected. We are so afraid to be outed for Jesus at work. We are so petrified that someone's going to think I'm stupid because I know Jesus and follow him. We are afraid to look stupid. We are afraid to put ourselves out there. We would rather just be the nice guy at work and leave it at that. The Bible tells us something different. Jesus tells us something different in Luke chapter 10, 10 and 11 when you enter a town, and you are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of this town I will wipe from my feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. And this is Jesus' words. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. We have to be willing to be rejected. If you are all about God, and he's the most important relationship in your life, and you're starting to to, to search for those who don't know him, you'll be welcomed and you will be rejected. And we're so afraid of looking stupid for God. We're so afraid that we're going to hurt someone's feelings or rub someone wrong. or We're so afraid of that. But Jesus is saying, unless you are willing to be rejected for me, unless you're willing to put yourself out there for me, I can't use you to reach the people who are hurting, who are in need, who need that healing that you already have. The most important thing Relationship in your life, if you are a follower of Christ, is Jesus. Now, my most important human relationship is my wife Jacqueline. Jacqueline and I have been together for going on 13 years. We'll be married 8 years this September. She's my college sweetheart. And I love her dearly. I have no problem looking stupid for that girl. Uh, no problem at all. In fact, I kind of enjoy it. Maybe not as much as she does, <clears throat> but uh, I have no problem looking dumb. I have no problem outing myself for her. Uh, in fact, when we were at camp this a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, one of the deans had told a story that I had almost forgotten about—about about Jacqueline David's story. He said, and and I now, as he's telling me, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I once time, I one time took a a tablecloth from the the cafeteria. I borrowed a. Candle from her roommate. I borrowed the money from the couch cushions, and I took her to a fancy restaurant called Fazoli's. For those who don't know, Fazoli's are—it's a fast food Italian restaurant. We had set everything up, and I had a date with my girlfriend. Um, one time, I dressed up in my best uh, suit and had some flowers. Showed up at her classroom and sang her, sang her a song, and I don't sing. Well, and I would do these things, and still I look—you know—I want to look stupid for my wife. I want people to know I love her. I want to know people that know that Jacqueline's my most important human relationship. But what if, in 13 years, you never heard me talk about her? If I never put myself out there for her, if I was never willing to look a little dumb for her. And obviously, my relationship with her isn't that important. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus is the most important relationship that you have. You must be willing to be outed for him. You must be willing to face that rejection. You must be willing to let yourself loose. Because the persons of peace who are looking for Jesus won't know you're there unless you tell them. See, so God's trying to tell us that we must be willing to forego the desire for everyone to like us and show everyone that he likes them. Jesus is like, if, if, if I am the most important thing it's okay to look a little dumb for me. Because those who need to know Jesus, who are desperately already seeking them in ways that you don't even know, are waiting for you to step up at work. Are waiting for you to say something at your kid's baseball team or or, or football team. Are waiting for a family member to finally say, I'm in this oikos, this household, and I want to tell you about Jesus, and it spreads. Here's my closing thought. If, if you want an outbreak for Jesus in everywhere you go, it starts with you. It starts with you looking for the persons of peace, to build the relationships that are so desperately needed, to be willing to be rejected, to be willing to receive. See, when I first took over the youth ministry here at Polaris, my goal was to reach every kid in the world. I wanted every teenager to know Jesus. There's no way I have the power to do that. It just won't happen. You know what? Person of peace, person of peace, person of peace, person of peace, all the way through our youth group that God's put in my life. And that they are going to their households, their oikoses, and they're spreading God's word. Because if we are ready for this, if we want to be outed for him, man, God's going to take a small group of people and he's going to reach the whole nation. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I I love you. You are amazing. Lord, I want the people in my life to know you. And that means sometimes I've got to look a little stupid for you. That means sometimes I've got to be outed. I mean, sometimes I've to be welcoming something that's been given to me. And Lord, I ask same to send, send the same fire down on all of us. That we are ready you know, not to, to conquer the world, but to find the personal peace that they can send through households and change our city, our state, our nation, one household at a time. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. It's in your sons. Let me pray.